Last week, the temperatures were pretty warm around here for this time of year. <laughs> Nevertheless, we might have wondered whether hell had frozen over because a song written by the band The Smiths was played at a campaign rally for a right-wing political candidate. And the Smiths, for those of you who might not know, are slightly to the left of Bernie Sanders, I think we could safely say. <laughs> One of their members promptly told the candidate in much more colorful language than this, kindly please stop playing our song as if it's an endorsement of this campaign's values. Strange that they would even have had to have made that request. Why would a far-right campaign be playing music by the Smiths in the first place? Clearly, they had missed something pretty important about what those lyrics were really saying and about the true message that the group preaches. Just goes to show you there is a difference between being a fan and being a follower. Today's gospel lifts up that contrast for us. We hear about two people who both experience Jesus's healing power. Jesus's right-hand man, Peter, who we know is very loyal and very enthusiastic, but sometimes misses critical things about the substance of Jesus's message. And Peter's mother-in-law, whom Jesus heals of a fever. Both witness the power of Jesus's touch, but their responses are quite different. So let's look at them in reverse order. We'll start with Peter. Jesus has spent a full day healing people, and now everybody wants to crowd around him and to touch him because he's become so popular. The writer of the Gospel of Mark says, the whole town was gathered at the door. Taylor Swift's got nothing on him. <laughs> Jesus has gone off by himself to pray alone, to recharge and recenter in the midst of all this. But Peter barges in and announces, everybody's looking for you, you gotta come back seems like he wants Jesus to return to his adoring fans. Maybe he wants to be Jesus's agent or publicist here. Maybe he wants to keep basking in the praise that they've experienced. After all, it feels nice to be adored and admired. Or maybe he wants to set Jesus up as kind of the, the guru of a wellness center that they're going to start in this town and commodify him and his work, which is a real temptation we can have. And it doesn't just cover praying to Jesus to help us find a parking space or to help us win a football game. It doesn't just belong to folks who have a bobblehead buddy Jesus on their dashboard, a thing that really exists, or a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. We can all be tempted to co-opt Jesus to suit our agenda. We might want him to be a political ally who aligns totally in all his views with one political party. Pretty tough case to make if you've actually read your Bible. We might want to personalize and individualize him until he looks a lot like us, has all the same opinions, but seldom says anything that really challenges us. One way of being religious in this world really emphasizes praising Jesus and voicing admiration for him and turning your life over to him as the people did who crowded around in that big mosh pit-like situation that Peter was so fond of. But then that's where it stops for them. Like Peter, the thought is this is the end point. This means we've arrived. 
And Jesus in this gospel is like, uh, wait a second, I have more to do. I have to go out into the world. That's what I came here for. That's what my mission is about. The contemplative and activist Shane Claiborne, whom some of you might know, he comes from an evangelical background and then took his life in sort of a Catholic worker direction. He said this about his upbringing, and maybe this resonates with a few people here. He says, I went on many altar calls and got born again and again and again. I believed all the right stuff, but I had no idea what it means to be a follower. Preachers were telling me to lay my life at the foot of the cross, but weren't giving me anything to pick it up. A lot of us were hearing, don't smoke, don't drink, don't sleep around. Where were the do's? Nobody seemed to have much to offer us. People had a lot to say about what Christians believe, but no one taught me how Christians live. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus out into the world and to live the way he did. This man who, by the way, said absolutely nothing about smoking or drinking and virtually nothing about who anyone should or shouldn't sleep with, but who went around endlessly forgiving and peace building and standing with marginalized people and including everyone and disrupting exploitation and loving difficult people and showing tenderness to those who expected judgment. Jesus was always singing that song. Jesus tells Peter, we can't stay here and build a megachurch. This isn't the end point. This is the starting point. This is the launching pad. Just like coming to church here on Sunday morning isn't the end point if then on Monday morning we're scowling at our family and mistreating our neighbor and judging the other drivers on our commute and ignoring the homeless person on the corner at the red light and harboring grudges against all our coworkers when we arrive. Christianity is lived in the daily interactions. Richard Rohr often says, seldom is it that we think our way into a new way of living. It almost always happens that we live our way into a new way of thinking, which is why we come here to help each other learn how to live as disciples. We've all had that feeling. I saw some heads nodding during that first reading of Job. We've all had those times when the days feel like drudgery and our nights are sleepless. None of us is inspired all the time. We need community, a place where we lift each other up at times like that and help us keep practicing living our faith together. Many churches sing and speak a lot about the death of Jesus, and that's important. But just as important, and what I think we really try to do here, is we look seriously at his life, at his daily actions, and we try to bring our lives into alignment with his. It's in imitating the way of Christ that we grow to be more like him. Some of you may have heard of the street preacher whose alias is Reverend Billy. A mock street preacher, really, is what he started out as. He's actually a secular performance artist who adapted the persona of a street evangelist to call out in a satirical way the consumerism of American culture. So in the cadence of a fire and brimstone circuit rider, he stages stunts like 
the pretend exorcism of a cash register at the Disney store in Times Square, <laughs> the formation of a stop shopping choir, which disrupts various malls and commercial places like Trump Tower, and defacing billboards that advertise dubious image-driven products. Sometime in the last few years, Reverend Billy's focus shifted to the climate crisis, and his and the street choir's performances started to call attention to this issue. And their actions started out in the same tongue-in-cheek style that the anti-capitalist revivals that they'd staged had. But over time, something began to change within Reverend Billy. The prophet facade ceased to be entirely a facade. And this man, real name William Talon, began to find that Reverend Billy wasn't just a satirical character he was playing anymore. He was becoming, without ever having intended it, a serious moral force on the scene of climate activism and a person with spiritual authority whose voice was taken seriously. Turns out that if you spend enough years acting like a fearless social justice warrior, you just might gradually become one for real, which should be hopeful news for all of us. Imitate the person you want to be like, and gradually it just might happen. Peter's mother-in-law understood this principle, what the ancient spiritual writers called imitatio Christi, the imitation of Christ. When she is touched by Jesus, she immediately sets about serving others. She starts living like he did. And she doesn't abruptly leave her family's house, we notice. She doesn't say, well, now I have to be like Paul. I have to go to faraway countries on a mission from God. And she doesn't say, okay, well, now I'm going to go be a cloistered nun. She goes back to the tasks that probably she did before she encountered Jesus. In her case, tending the household and providing food and hospitality to her family and her guests. We don't have to change our whole state in life when we have an experience of God. We don't all have to be preachers or clergy, thank goodness, or consecrated religious, or join the Peace Corps. Most of the time, we're like Peter's mother-in-law. We go back to our daily life, which looks on the outside pretty much the way it did before. But on the inside, we know that we're doing things in a whole new way ordinary things. We're doing these with a new spirit of service and generosity and joy and above all a lovingness that comes from being a follower of Christ. And I think of Constance Loomis when I think about all this sitting in the back row over there. Constance told me that when she was young she wanted to go to a foreign country and maybe be a missionary. These days, I don't know if you know this, Constance, but on the church staff, we think of you as the chaplain of where you live, of the Shire at Culverton. Yeah, you're welcome. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so every day, Constance is on a mission, and she shares God's love through all kinds of small things, checking in on people, bringing them what they need, being an advocate, writing cards, ministering to the needs of the whole crowd being a servant to all, as St. Paul says in the second reading. She's living the imitation of Christ right where she is. And this doesn't have to be a question of constant activity either. 
Not only action and practical tasks help the world. If we look at Jesus in this gospel, we see how important prayer was to him and how he deliberately took time, even with so much else going on, to go off by himself to pray. I'm told that in Corpus Christi days, that any time there was a big decision or a new passage that we were contemplating in our life as a church, we would have a holy hour and pray together and listen for God's guidance. And I think about prayer warriors like Joanne Beer, who I'm sure is joining us on the live stream this morning, who keeps a special list of people who she knows who are sick or anxious or struggling or who she struggles with. Most of them are known to her, but some are strangers, actually. And she prays for them in such a personal, tender way. She never misses a day. Prayer like that changes the universe for the better. How could it not? So we also serve when we imitate Jesus in this way. When I was in college, I'll never forget one day that one of my fellow students came in with this radiant look about her. And it was subtle. It wasn't at all ostentatious. But it was so unmistakable that the, pre the professor interrupted himself halfway through the class and said, Meredith, I'm sorry, but is something different about you? And the student smiled very sheepishly. Actually, she said, I know this is going to sound weird, but I recently became a Christian. That was all the explanation she had and all the explanation anybody needed. Nothing about her had changed, and yet everything had changed. Now the question was, where would she go from here? The question for all of us is, Will we be Jesus fans or will we be Jesus followers? <laughs>